Welcome to this session of Global Supply Chain Week. I'm Eric Kulish, Air Cargo and Supply Chain Editor at Freightways. I'm joined by Bryn Heinbeck, President and Co-Founder of TradeTech, a logistics cloud computing company that automates international trade processes in a central platform. Bryn, welcome to Freightways Virtual Chat. Thanks, Eric. It's good to see you again. Likewise, it's been a while. Um, listen, um, describe trade tech. You're really uh, a platform connecting different parts of the supply chain, which is a continuing need in the industry. But I keep hearing how logistics, the logistics sector is way behind other industries um, in tech utilization. So how do we get to a point where people are taking advantage of this connective tissue um, companies like uh, trade tech provide? We're a platform. Eric, for, uh, we're a globally available platform, and in, that counts in global logistics. And on a platform, you have a combination of consistency and data, the ability to move, the applications are integrated, so sales, operations, and accounting, purchase order management. So it's an end-to-end -end logistics process that stretches around the globe. And then the accounting functionalities and then that platform is also connected to key entities such as customs agencies and carriers, both air and ocean. At the end of the day, what we're trying to do two things. Bring people together on a single place, a single platform, so they can work together no matter where they are, anywhere in the world, in a consistent process to move goods from beginning to end. Right. But isn't the – I mean, I've heard you describe – the industry and, and just in general, I've heard others say that, you know, the supply chain industry from a technology adop adoption standpoint is, you know, light years behind everyone. Where would you put it? And, and how do we get people to use a platform if they're kind of in the analog days? Global trade was faced with a problem. <clears throat> it's global. Along came in the 80s, the concept of the mainframe. It was absolutely proven out as the way to do for business, and it worked exceptionally well in the U.S. and in Europe. And we have the boom of, of containerization and globalization going on. The problem with the old interface doesn't travel, and global trade demands that it be everywhere. The U.S. military faced this problem also, and they developed a new interface methodology called the browser, HTML, everything we know is the internet today. And you would have thought that the, that the next um, group of people to adopt this would have been global traders, whether they're the logistics providers or the buyers and sellers and importer exporters, but they didn't. They'd already invested so much in the strategy of the 90s, which was decentralized computing. And we're still there and they've invested. It's not that people haven't spent money on, on software that we don't have it. It's that we've spent billions and trillions of dollars on decentralized computing. And that leaves us all working in our own little villages and our own little environments and unable to be consistent in what we do relative to people inside our own organizations and with people um, like our customers and vendors. And it's the, it's that paradigm that doesn't scale. It probably worked just fine for the 90s compared to what paper and a typewriter. But when you look at the volumes we faced, particularly in the last couple of years, 
we can see that port congestion is stemming from the lack of, of consistent data and, the, and this lack of, of, of flow. We're in the wrong paradigm. We need to change. Right. So to make sure we understand things a little better, you know, is trade tech in the same arena as companies like Forkites or Project 44? How do you differ? You, you, I know you've compared uh, the automation of the administrative functions uh, around trade that we've talked about um, to a manufacturing assembly line. So can you explain what you mean? <laughs> okay, absolutely. Look, no, we're not a visibility tool. Um, I like the analogy of nobody wants to watch a car crash. It's ugly, painful, and your heart really throbs, let alone want to be in one. You want, if you see something going wrong, you want to be able to reach in and grab it. That's the difference between collaboration and a, and a, and, a, and having direct access to the logistics management tool and just visibility of somebody else's. What what we 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 want to talk about is a platform that's using the internet. That's step one, so that it's global. You've got to be able to bring people together, no matter where they're at, into a single platform. Step one. Now we're in centralized computing, which has been proven to be effective everywhere. We just couldn't get there before here. Step two. What happens when you're on one platform? Well, you've got the same core data references, port codes and names and stuff like that, and process controls. You can control what people are doing in Indonesia. You can control what people are doing in France. And you can control what people are doing right here in Seattle all at the same time. And all of your data is in one place. That ability to bring your own people together within your organization, okay, why limit yourself to that? If everybody's working together outside the firewall, but secure, why can't your customers work with you? That'd be collaboration. Why can't your vendors? Why can't the warehouse schedule the time they want to have people there and the trucker can see it? That type of collaboration with process controls is where the efficiency starts to come and you start looking at this ease of doing business. And then the, the last part, well, two more parts an integrated business process on that platform that's already in place and running. You just need to join on to it. So sales, which drives all business process, that's the promise, what's going to be done and the opportunity for the buyer to say what needs to be done. That's going to drive the operations process, whether, and we don't differentiate between import and export. One shipment, one file, people working together, facilitating the first part, facilitating the second part. But sales drives operations, and that feeds accounting. So here's the rate multiplied by the number of containers or kilos equals your accounting. And then the last component, if you're going to be able to track everything, you've got to be connected, connected to the carriers, connected to the air carriers, connected to the customs agencies. In that environment, you're only keying data once. Only the people who are responsible for that data, like the shipper for the booking, are keying the data. And it's all done with process controls, so the ability to make mistakes is highly limited. Now we're starting to talk about a manufacturing process, mechanization. We can say they click this and these other things happen. And that's the consistency that a business called logistics and supply chain, which is not 
art and and whatever. We need that. We need consistency in the movement of freight and movement of inventory. And and that's what I get to when I say we need to we should be focused on mechanization. We should be and, and that will lead to automation, things that we're taking away, the mundane, rekeying data, sending it here, sending it there. And I equate that to what I call the virtual assembly line. If we looked at manufacturing, compared ourselves in in services, especially international shipping, to uh, where manufacturing is, we'd be about 1820, pre-industrial revolution. We're artisans. We do everything from beginning to end. We need to get to where we do our tasks, and that feeds the next task, and that feeds the next task. And we're all working together as if we were in the same building, working on the same assembly line. And that assembly line is controlling, not letting things spill off, what's moving, can't move until this, all of that type of stuff, so that we end up with a product that's being created that's consistent at the end each and every time. Along those lines, one of the purposes of this event is to take stock of the supply chain sector and, and coming out of the pandemic and how things have changed or improved and any lessons. Um, and obviously, supply chains were overwhelmed during the pandemic. Stuff just couldn't get through. And, and part of it was old infrastructure. And part of it was systems and processes that uh, didn't work well together, like you're saying. Did, did we see any, um, you know, have you noticed any changes uh, since then and in, in how importers, exporters, importers, and carriers um, connect together? Was there any acceleration of uh, this mechanization or digitization um, you know, coming uh, out of the pandemic? Uh, yes and no. And, and I, 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 I've seen it in, in key areas around the movement of information. In fact, Commissioner Bensel at the FMC said, we're not going to build our way out of this problem in terms of infrastructure, we've got to look to systems and data movement in order to make that happen. I look at some of the new carriers that came in, and these these are people, risk takers, who went out in the marketplace and said, I'll charter a vessel. But, and they went to importers and they said, but here's the deal. The terminal I'm going to says, I got to be in and out of there in no more than three days. So I'm going to be running peel-off stacks. I'm going to be running plan stacks, or I'm going to be taking this stuff to an off-dock CY. I've got to fill. I've got to vacate that terminal, or I can't come in. I can't come back. And they went to their importers and they said, "You've got to be customs cleared, carrier released, and and a booking, uh, a pickup already placed before my vessel gets in, or I'm not going to. If you don't agree, I'm not letting you on board the vessel. So you want to ship, and that worked." Those are the guys that worked. So we're seeing a paradigm shift to people saying, I'm going to use the transit of the vessel to do the administrative work on the destination side. And I'll be prepared for the pickup and delivery when the vessel docks. And that's something that we need to, to, to work towards um, on, a, on a less elitist basis and more generic basis. Bryn, some some forwarders refer to themselves as digital forwarders. Um, have, have there been any forwarders that have been successful building their own platforms that try to provide this, you know, end to end visi- uh, maybe visibility or, or 
you, you said it's more about connecting the processes. So I assume you'll argue that an off-the-shelf platform is a better solution. I will. Now, look, I, I know that we have customers who are on a cloud and they're working everybody in a single place. And so therefore are digital. Um, I've got one customer, a very large customer in Japan, for example, that's using our financial clearinghouse to settle um, the uh, uh, reimbursement of costs to whoever paid the cost for the carriage and distribution of the revenue for profits. And they do it out of Tokyo with two people. They're moving thousands of shipments all over the world each month. And they just click a couple of buttons and they're done and closed four days after the end of each month. That's the promise of digitization. The vast majority, I don't see it because they're still, they've got this huge internal investment in decentralized computing. And until they decide to get on a single platform with an internet-based front end, they haven't passed step one. They're, they're not. They don't collect two hundred dollars. They're not in the go. So right. So can it depend? So at the at the end of the day, the customer or the 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 users kind of the 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 roadblock because they can't fully utilize that platform that they're trying to connect to. They are, and and, and so then comes the debate: Well, do we build it or or do we buy it? And there's a there's a there's a fantastic article dating back to two thousand and seven. Um, called The End of Corporate Computing. And in that article, uh, the, the researcher professor compares the evolution of electricity to the evolution of, of, of business computing. And he says, look, day one with electricity, you wanted to use electricity, you bought a dynamo and you had an electricity team and a chief electricity officer and you generated your own electricity for your plant. And then a couple of guys outside of that, Tesla and Edison, were doing Publix works. And eventually the development of that public works, for example, inventing AC, uh, AC versus DC currents that could, could transport, those evolutions led us to where we are today with um, public um, utilities for power. We don't make our own electricity unless maybe a storm hits. We flip a switch. And that's where we're going to be at some point with corporate computing. We're running short on time, but I did want to ask you one other thing. You, you for your business, uh, follow a lot of, you know, you have to handle a lot of customs processes for customers. The, the European Union has an import control system, a new rule coming in for pre-arrival security purposes. And, you know, I guess there'll be some requirements to file data ahead of time. How impactful will that be for the air cargo sector specifically, and what should forwarders and airlines do to be ready? The Europeans are catching up to the U.S. and Japan in this 24-hour rule, and this is something the entire industry should be taking advantage of. It, this is what's going to radically change once we move to that. The 24-hour rule says the shipper has to provide information to the destination customs agency 24 hours before it can depart whether that's ocean or air. And that's all of the information on the bill of lading. Importers need to be taking advantage of that data, using that data. It's available. Stop crying about visibility. It's been available for 20 years in the United States. It's 
It's been available since 2014 in Japan, and the Europeans are just starting to get there. Perfect. That data is customs data. It's, it's, it's standardized to the customs agency. So that data can fit hand in glove into a customs clearance application and then classify the cargo. You're done. That's what's going to allow people to clear customs in transit rapidly in order so they can now be planning the, the pickup of the, of the uh, cargo before it arrives. That's one of the big milestones that's out there. And, and with the EU coming on, that's the next big economy. And then at that point, we'll have the EU, all of North America, including Canada, the United States, and Mexico, Japan, and we could probably imagine that, that some of the major Asian countries will follow suite shortly thereafter. And that's going to be part of what's going to allow, um, let's just say we can piggyback off of that uh, process um, and law enforced process to get what we need to be able to do to manage our supply chains. Gotcha. Well, Britt, uh, that's all the time we have. I really appreciate those insights. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, uh, thanks to our audience and uh, good day. Thanks, Eric. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to talking to you soon.